Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadi karab, guten tak, jawivi, vakat, bang, half a day, jai jinendra, priviet, salam, shalom, peace. Now, go vegan. Peace how? Go vegan. From the left-behind coast of the genetically mutated McNugget Pharmaceutical Vivisection Prison Killitary Industrial Corp. Nation, in the cheese-covered, post-constitutional, bankster-bankrupt, corruptocracy, mocracy, criminocracy, unchallenged by meteocracy, food-borne in the CIA, FBI, NSA, NRA, USA, home of Uncle Sam Manila, where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts, and the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat, this is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And it is with the most humble humility and vast understatement that we proclaim this very show the most important program of all time in all media anywhere in the universe. Um, I don't know, is is that an outlandish claim? I suppose it depends on your priorities. If saving your life matters, if saving all life matters, if saving the planet matters, well then, all in a day's work for the superheroes of 501c3 Go Vegan Radio, where you can make a tax-deductible donation at goveganradio.com. Or support us through Patreon. Um, yes, we here at Go Vegan Radio, whose mission is just that. Just what? You, you, you heard us. If saving your life, saving all life, saving the planet. That seems to be our mission here. Um, and uh, today, well, it's just another day at the office. Another episode of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And on today's program, we get real on the environment, like really real. Um, you know, Not like all those fake environmental organizations out there um, who really ignore the truth and avoid the solutions. Today, we get as real as it can be on the environment. And... Only after hearing today's show can you really call yourself an environmentalist. Only after hearing today's show will you know the single most important action that you can take to save the planet. And after hearing today's show, you will conclude that you have no choice, you have no excuses to justify not taking that action. And uh, and by the way, this isn't about blame. It is about taking responsibility and, and doing the right thing. And uh, today we will examine what the results of that action would be. Today on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, we will be joined by Joseph Poor from Oxford University, the lead researcher in the most comprehensive environmental study ever a study that took five years to complete, and it has just been released. 
we will spend, uh, well, at least an hour with Joseph studying this mind-blowing study. You will find it astonishing. Guaranteed. I assure you. And I hope that you will share today's program with all your friends and family and, and people you know who are interested and, and care about the environment. And uh, that should just about be everybody, shouldn't it? So please, you must share this, this program. It's, it's not feeding my ego. It is the subject. It is the search for the truth, finding the truth. Um, and really, what do you really know about the environment anyway? Ha, ha, ha. Um, well, <laughs> what will you know by the end of this show? Now, that's what's really important. Um, and by the end of this show, you will actually qualify as an expert. You will be the environmentalist's environmentalist. So all I can say is prepare to be blown away. Um, and and why, do we, why do we do this here at Go Vegan Radio? Huh? Why... Why do we really, why do we care so much about the environment, huh? Why, why? Well, we want to have some fun, and it, it, would, be hard, it would be hard to organize events like um, L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest if the venue were submerged under the uh, rising waters of climate change. So, you know, we want to have a good time. So we, you know, so quick, let's all get together Sunday, October 7th at Woodley Park in Van Nuys for L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest before we need scuba gear in the future to do it, huh? Well, maybe if we do the right thing for the environment quickly, as we will learn soon, that scuba gear, gear will not be uh, necessary. Wouldn't it be amazing? Like, everything we have to rent, everything, you know, we have to get the portable toilets and the sinks and the fencing, and um, in the future, might be scuba gear also. Huh? So, but really, actually, all the gear hopefully, that you need for this October 7th. Just maybe uh, a blanket and, you know, a lounge chair. You know, Sizzling summer discount tickets are available right now for what will be the hottest show ever. Go to LAReggaeVeganFest.com. This is going to be an amazing day. It's the first ever. It's historic. A full day of international reggae superstars. I mean, look at LARegaeVeganFest.com. Look at who's performing. Maccabee and Bushman and Glenn Washington, Sister Carol, Lamore and the Mystic Band, General John Mikey, The Simpkin Project, and it begins with a kid's show with Jamaica Bob at 10.30 in the morning on the main stage. By the way, kids 12 and under are free, and parking and um, service fees are included in your discount ticket. So, uh, it's unbelievable. Superstar re reggae headliners. Oh, amazing speakers also. Well, maybe I'll, I'll talk to you about the speakers. I'll talk to you about who's going to be on main stage speaking later in this show when, uh, when, when you yourself are speechless <laughs> after you hear what's coming. And uh, also, uh, regarding LA Reggae Vegan Fest, a special gift to the community from 501c3 Go Vegan Radio. We're setting up an area just south of our paid event at Woodley Park that will be free and open to the public. It will be the Free College of Vegan Knowledge. You know, everybody 
Everybody talks about wanting, uh, you know, free college, free college. Well, we do something about it. We're, we're giving it to you. We're giving you the free college of vegan knowledge Sunday, October 7th at Woodley Park, just south of our paid event, LA Reggae Vegan Fest. And we will have uh, many of our speakers who are uh, on stage throughout the day. They will be at the Free College of Vegan Knowledge. And who knows who else. But uh, it, it, that, that'll be great too. So, um, yeah. And uh, by the way, people who buy tickets to LA Reggae Vegan Fest will also have access to the Free College of Vegan Knowledge and can go back and forth uh, as you please. So, uh, there's that extra added attraction as if, uh, as if we needed more attractions, although the food is going to be fantastic. Okay. So in, in addition to the blanket and the lounge chair, bring your appetite. So it will be some of the ma most amazing food ever. And as I said, you can get your sizzling summer discount tickets right now at LAReggaeVeganFest.com. I would also like to invite you to listen to the, well, it's the official music station of LA Reggae Vegan Fest because, well, Go Vegan Radio produces that too. So since we produce LA Reggae Vegan Fest and we produce Radio Bobby at RadioBobby.com, we can make Radio Bobby the official music station of LA Reggae Vegan Fest. And so we'll do that. And we'll have a good public launch of Radio Bobby on stage at LA Reggae Vegan Fest. And uh, so you, you may not know this about me, unless you have already read the speakers page at LAReggaeVeganFest.com. But in my past life, um, which is actually last century, huh? I was a program director at music radio stations all across the country. We call those stations terrestrial stations now. We didn't know back then there'd be a special name for us in the future. We thought we were just at radio stations. You know, we had the radio antenna outside. I had an FCC third class license with broadcast endorsement, which allowed me to read the meters and, you know, be responsible. We were considered a, pu a public trustee back then. <laughs> now look at the media, <laughs> public trustee, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, lots of radio stations back then, and I, I was in a very unique position, although unique is, maybe you don't need the word very in front of unique, but uh, I was someone who was allowed to make decisions on what was to be played by listening to music. It was very unusual. Um, most program directors are handed a music list, usually carefully researched by consultants who have no idea what they're doing. Um, but somehow, just, you know, the way my career went, I was recognized and hired for my ear. Yes, I was hired for a body part. Yep, that, that's it. Um, I, I, it was my taste in music that got me hired. And isn't that strange because doesn't everybody have the greatest taste in music but anyway i i was lucky and i, I got hired and i was program director around we actually all all the radio stations that i programmed did pretty well um and they were pretty different from what the consultants advised those other stations to do so and it did it all worked out pretty well until uh Meteor consolidation happened, and uh, I won't go into that right now, other than 
I, I don't need a big corporation. I used to work for Gannett and Tribune and others I don't even want to remember. Um, United Broadcasting. and I mean, not that I don't want to remember United Broadcasting, but, you know, all, all the corporate, all the corporate, I've worked for a lot of corporate situations and uh, doesn't mean they actually know what's going on there. But um, so anyway, so I've... Uh, I've listened to a lot of radio stations over time. I've, and, I, you know, I feel that Radio Bobby is just about the best because I've listened to a lot of music over time, over all the decades. And, by the way, I had to listen to a lot of bad music to get to the good music that I would play on stations. You know, sometimes it's only one track on an album with 12 cuts, you know, and... Um, Sometimes it's 12 out of 12. And if I wanted to play them, oh, look, it's Sade's first album. Let's play it all. Um, so anyway, um, I say take advantage of the music experience of a lifetime or my music experience of a lifetime. Or you, you, have, the, you have yourself the music experience of a lifetime just by going to RadioBobby.com. It is here for your happiness. That's the purpose. Huh? It's a very different sound, so I tell you, I can, you know, you'll, you, I think you'll real, you'll really enjoy it, you know. So, um, I mean, for me, I get stuck on a long line in a supermarket. I'm listening to Radio Bobby, no problem. I don't mind, you know. Doesn't matter to me. Uh, all a pleasant experience, you know. If you're cleaning the house, Radio Bobby, how much fun it is to clean the house, okay? What, well, you know, whatever the chore. I bet you Radio Bobby makes it better for you. And uh, I find myself singing and dancing throughout the day. I always wondered what made that, 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 that crazy guy in the park there who's dancing, you know? Now it is I. You know, I always thought, what, 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 what's making that person dance? I guess it, back then it must have been music in his head, right? And now it's music in my headphones. I'm, I'm the one dancing around the park. I'm the one singing on the, on the line at the post office. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm the normal one. I'm the vegan. Um, and Radio Bobby is that full range of emotion to where you do find yourself like singing and dancing. And, oh, I got to tell you just one more thing this past week. So, I'm downtown walking with Daisy, listening to Radio Bobby, and it is all kinds of great music, including reggae, but, you know, all kinds of great music. And on comes a song by Donna DeLore. Donna DeLore, um, all kinds of great music, including really hauntingly beautiful songs. And this one was just so amazing that... I just started crying, you know, just I'm walking down the street downtown and here I am and just tears are coming down my face from how beautiful, how beautiful this song is, Donna DeLore. Um, and by the way, she is vegan and she performed at the World Vegan Summit and Expo, uh, which we at Go Vegan Radio organized. So I'm walking down the street, crying, listening to the song that she sang at our event. Um, the song is called um, Lokai Samaste Sukino Bavantu. So I'm listening. And then come the lyrics. The lyrics. May all beings be happy and free. And may my life be a giving to this happiness and freedom for all. And joy for all. We are one. Hmm. 
lyrics as beautiful as the melody, I tell you. And actually, lyrics that they, they sound like our mission statement here at Go Vegan Radio. <laughs> Doesn't that? So beautiful. So, and, uh, and let that be our mission statement uh, for uh, vegan advocacy. Huh? So, anyway, um, as I say, the most important interview on the environment that you will ever hear coming up next on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. GoVeganRadio.com on Twitter at GoVeganRadio Facebook GoVeganRadio with Bob Linden um, and uh, don't forget we're uh, organizing LA Reggae Vegan Fest Sunday October 7th at Woodley Park in Van Nuys that website is LARegaveganFest.com we have our 24-7 music station at Radio Bobby RadioBobby.com and you can support us with a tax-deductible donation at GoVeganRadio.com and uh, also through Patreon. And uh, so if uh, you've been listening to this program at any point over our 17 years of existence, you know that I have no hidden agenda here. I mean, people may say, oh, he's trying to get everybody to go vegan. Well, well, that's not a hidden agenda. That That's... That's my agenda. It's 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 obvious. It's in the name of the show. Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. So, yes, I want everybody to go vegan uh, by any truthful means necessary. I employ them all. I appeal to you emotionally um, on behalf of the animals. I uh, try to use fear when it's related to human health issues, like uh, when the World Health Organization says that uh, processed meats, hot dogs, bacon cause cancer. Well, uh, who am I to keep that a secret, right? So, um, so you know, you know my agenda here, um, and sometimes I do even resort to facts and studies 
believe it or not. And over the years, you've heard me talk about animal agriculture and the environment. I talked to you about the study from uh, Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang at the World Bank, uh, where they did a study of uh, livestock's long shadow, a report from the UN, and Goodland and Anhang told us that they believe that animal agriculture is responsible for at least 51% of human-generated greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, those same environmental scientists said that they believe that going vegan was the only solution. Um, and I've also resorted to studies like that from the Stockholm International Water Institute, where if we translate uh, liters to gallons, etc., uh, it said that I, as a vegan, need 10,000 gallons of water to grow my food in a year, and uh, non-vegan needs 320,000 gallons of water, so uh, that's pretty good ammunition for me, right? So I'm, I'm always looking for the ammunition that could help me convince people to go vegan. And then along comes an article in The Guardian that comes to my attention with the headline, Avoiding meat and dairy is single biggest way to reduce your impact on Earth. Well, this interests me, so I look a little further down. It says, biggest analysis to date reveals huge footprint of livestock. It provides just 18% of calories, but takes up 83% of farmland. Wow, this is... Uh, getting even more more interesting to me it it's, uh, says here uh, avoiding meat and dairy produce uh, products is the single biggest way to reduce your environmental impact on the planet according to the scientists behind the most comprehensive analysis to date of the damage farming does to the planet the new research shows that without meat and dairy consumption global farmland use could be reduced by more than 75% in area equivalent to the U.S., China, European Union, and Australia combined, and still feed the world. And then it talks about uh, loss of uh, wild areas um, to agriculture is the leading cause of the current mass extinction of wildlife and uh, if we scroll down further we see a quote from uh, the lead researcher of the study the quote is a vegan diet is probably the single biggest way to reduce your impact on planet earth uh, not just greenhouse gases but global acidification, uh, eutrophication, land use, and water use, said Joseph Poor at the University of Oxford, UK, who led the research study. It said, uh, he continues, uh, the quote continues, it is far bigger than cutting down on your flights or buying an electric car, he said. And uh, so I became very interested in Joseph Poor. And I said, I need to talk to him. So Joseph Poor um, is with the Department of Zoology, the School of Geography and Environment at Queens College. Queens College? Wait, I went to Queens College. How, how was that? Oh, oh, this is the Queens College University of Oxford, uh, I guess where they 
the study is a little more serious than my Queens College of the City University of New York, where uh, our, our curriculum, I think, was uh, marching against the Vietnam War and sex and drugs and rock and roll. Uh, we should have paid more attention to statistics. I would have come out with something really important, like uh, what we received from Joseph here. So, um, so Joseph's study uh, was just published in Science, in the journal Science, and that study is entitled Reducing Foods' Environmental Impacts Through Producers and Consumers. So, welcome, Joseph. I am so thrilled to have you on uh, today's program because I'm interested in everything about what you have been doing here. So, uh, it's great to have you on today's show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bob. <laughs> so, um, tell me a bit about the background. First of all, what uh, what motivated you um, to embark upon this study? And then, since we're told here that this is the most comprehensive study to date, how comprehensive is it? How, you know, what what are some of the details of uh, what you've done? Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> I wanted to understand if there were sustainable animal product producers out there and I wanted to understand if I could reconcile what was my own personal consumption of animal products with a rapidly degrading global environment. You know, um, I think the question, the context of this question is that agriculture, unlike really any other sector of the economy, is extremely diverse. It's characterized by millions of producers um, and it seemed reasonable that this diversity should translate into variable environmental impacts and we wanted to understand if that variability would result in sustainable or low impact animal products so what we did was we consolidated data from about 750 published studies in the literature which have surveyed about 40,000 farms all around the world um, and 1600 processors packaging types and retailers so what we're doing is building up a picture of the entire food supply chain and all the impacts it creates. Um, and we started by looking at the clearing of land for agriculture and the emissions that caused. Then we looked at the production of inputs such as fertilizer, pesticide, and their transport to farm. We assessed all the major emissions and land use and water use on the farm. That's the crops used to feed livestock, um, livestock feed, and also the area and the emissions used to grow the food that is fed directly to humans. Um, then we assess the environmental impact of transport, processing, packaging, and all the way through to retail. And we did all of this for five important environmental indicators, greenhouse gas emissions, land use, uh, acidification and eutrophication, which represent the degradation of terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems, and water oh, use. Since, since it's, a, it's a big word, uh, explain uh, eutrophication. What What is that exactly? Eutrophication is the nutrient enrichment of water bodies. So if you put a lot of nitrogen or phosphorus into an aquatic ecosystem, you encourage the rapid growth of uh, small of plants, certain types of plants, certain types of algae, and they crowd out the species, the fish that live there normally. So you get these big algae blooms, which can get so big in some cases that they kill off all other life. Um, and in the in the Gulf of Mexico, there's a, I think it's eight and a half 
thousand square mile dead zone uh, where there's just no life. So all these nutrients have got into it and it's basically had an effect where it's kind of killed off the whole ecosystem. And, and that, that removes uh, oxygen, basically? Is that... Uh... Yeah, that's, exactly, that's, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's generally from land runoff, would you say? Or uh, would that be the main cause of eutrophication? There are lot, there are, yeah, there are lots of different sources. So one of the big ones is runoff, i.e. from the top of a... Uh, from the top of the field. Another one is where nutrients leach down through the bottom of the field into deep aquifers and then get, end up back in rivers and oceans in distant streams. Other sources are also emissions to air. So when you put fertilizer on the field or when you manage your manure after the, after the animals created it, the uh, nitrogen in that manure gets volatilized and goes into the atmosphere when it's in the atmosphere, it tends to come down often, it's got, it's got to come down, it often comes down in water bodies, so there's another contribution. So you've got these three big sources, uh, atmospheric roots, the route across, what you said, runoff, and then leaching. Mm-hmm. So you've got, yeah, so you've got these five environmental indicators. And uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you with the when you were listing the five, so maybe just uh, run them down again uh, for a second. Yeah, so the five are land use, um, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, acidification, which is kind of air pollution, eutrophication, which we've just talked about, and water use. Weight, uh, and we weight that by the stress, the water stress in each area. So you've got five environmental indicators, the whole value chain, 40,000 farms around the world, 1,600 processors, packed types, and retailers. So you've got a nice big data set to start understanding the food system a bit better. Wow. So this is, and, and how long did this uh, study uh, take for, for you? It took, took five years. Five years, okay. Well, you're welcome to take five years to explain it now because I'm, I'm interested in, in all of it. So, so food's impact on land use, greenhouse gas emissions, acidification, eutrophication, and water use. So take it away. Take it away, Joseph Poor. You want to start with... Uh, Land use, or go go anywhere. You know, I'd, I'd like to uh, to hear about all of these. Okay, so the first thing is when we take all this data, we can scale it up globally, um, so we can weight all the different farms in our sample by how much production they represent globally, um, and that means we can estimate the global contribution uh, of farming to things like greenhouse gas emissions and. Uh, land use. The first one is we can say land use. We found that agriculture occupies about 43% of the world's ice and desert free surface, or about 38, 39% of the world's uh, uh, surface. Um, if you obviously, you know, we don't typically consider uh, areas covered in ice or areas covered in desert to be suitable for any form of human human use. Uh, in terms of food production. So we've excluded them. So it's about 43% of the world's surface. Um, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, agriculture represents about, sorry, the entire food system represents about 26% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a major contributor. Um, there's also more emissions caused by non-food agriculture and other drivers of deforestation. So non-food agriculture, stuff like the production of leather or wool 
um, and other drivers of deforestation are things like logging. When you add them on, which is what most studies do, that's another 5%. So about 31% of greenhouse gas emissions are related to agriculture and deforestation. Um, Maybe people don't often think that deforestation uh, results in greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, so land use change and deforestation, which is deforestation, also you've also got the burning of savannas as well, uh, which is burning of grasslands, as well as the burning of forest, you have burning of grasslands, you also have the burning of peat soils. Um, So all those three types of clearing of land for agriculture release carbon that would otherwise be locked away either in the either in the tree in the roots uh in the soil or uh, in you know in the grass and the above ground in the above ground <coughs> carbon um so if you sum all of them up um you've got about three or four gigatons of carbon dioxide a year, which is uh it's quite a large contribution. It's about it's about 20% of food's emissions. Um, and that is all to do with deforestation, clearing of land, and we're releasing carbon into the atmosphere that was otherwise more or less locked away for good. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so you've got... And, and the deforestation so, also, that, I mean, that, that's done for producing feed for animals and for, for grazing too, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So about 66% or two-thirds of deforestation is for feed crops, including pasture, soy, and maize. Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty. So um, in terms of land use then? Uh, yeah, so food, yeah, so food's about 43% of the world's land. Um of that land, about 87% is for food. The rest is for biofuels, textile crops. Um, you can also look at water. We estimate two-thirds of water withdrawals are for irrigation. Um, but you, irrigation is not particularly... Water use in itself is not that relevant. So what we did in our study is weighted the water use by local water scarcity. So, for example, almonds in California are grown in an area where there is high water scarcity. So if you're withdrawing that water, it's going to have a much more significant effect on the local ecosystem. So if you look instead at water scarcity, agriculture is driving about 90 to 95% of global water scarcity. So, um, you know, the other two emissions we talked about were acidification and eutrophication or air and water pollution. Agriculture is about a third of air pollution and about 80% of water pollution you've got this really, really important sector that just spans the whole multitude of different environmental issues. Yes, uh, obviously. I, I've referred to uh, uh, production and consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs as uh, really the, the, the most uh, environmentally devastate, devastating uh, human actions, basically. And it, it sounds like you are definitely uh confirming that and uh when when you talk about uh water withdrawal that's uh so so you're saying um like an area where almonds are grown you know that's that's a particular strain because there's water scarcity and also i mean there's a big dairy industry in california i i would think we would we consider california an area of water scarcity and that 
dairy also has such a major impact uh, in, in that way? I mean, I, I can't specifically comment on dairy in California. What I can say is that meat aquaculture, eggs and dairy are about, represent 83% of the world's farmland. So of that 43% I was talking about earlier, 83% is for the farming of and the cultivation of a- animal products and the growing of crops to feed those animals. Um, in terms of the emissions I was talking about, uh, 56 to 58% are uh, related to animals. You've, so you've got these really you're, you're exactly right. Livestock are using a disproportionate amount of our land and creating a disproportionate amount of food's emissions. And uh, despite that, they're only providing 37% of our protein and 18% of our calories. So you've got this quite big disconnect. Um, and one of the key questions is, can animal products be produced with sufficiently low impact to redress this imbalance, well, um, I, I know what my answer. To... I know what my answer would be, but I'll 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 wait to <laughs> to hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we looked at we we, we looked at about. Oh, and, and just at... be, just before you get into that, just on the on the water withdrawal. So so that means um, the the aquifers are running dry, like here in the U.S. We have in in Texas or uh, the Central Valley in California, where the land is actually collapsing because we're uh, taking groundwater, you know, depleting the aquifers, and it took them millions of years to develop all the water there, right? So, yeah, that's right. And, uh, and then you said that uh, animal agriculture, you believe, is responsible for 80% of water pollution? Yes, uh, the food system as a whole is responsible for 80% of water pollution as measured by eutrophication. The other 20% is stuff like sewage. Um, of that 80%, about 60% is related to animal agriculture. So it's a lot, agricult- animal agriculture is a, lot, is a very dominant force in uh, water pollution. And as I said, that 60% contrasts to the fact that livestock only provide 37% of our protein and 18% of our calories. So you've got this big disconnect. Mm, definitely. So uh, you were on to the question of, uh, gee, could, can there be sustainable animal products? Is that where you were going? Yeah, so in our, in our data, what we can do is have a look at the variability in impact. And one of the first things we find is that, yes, the impacts of animal products are extremely variable. Um, so, 90th percentile greenhouse gas emissions of beef are 105 kilograms of CO2 per 100 grams of protein. That compares to your 10th percentile, or your lowest impact, or your low impact beef emissions, um, which are 12 times lower. So, you've got this really big variability in all products we assess, whether it's beef or whether it's uh, any animal product. Uh, we look at whether it's any crop we look at, you get this really high variability in impact. So there are some producers out there who are actually doing a really good job uh, relative to what they can do. And there are others who are creating much higher impact. Um, and that's interesting because that says there's actually a lot of mitigation potential in the food system. You know, can we transfer these best practices to 
uh, higher impact producers. However, one of the things we did observe was that even the lowest impact animal products, i.e. so you look at these really low impact animal product farmers, they still have higher emissions than vegetable proteins for ex delivering exactly the same amount of protein. Um, well, that's, uh, that, that's, that's worth knowing and repeating. So you are saying that uh, the impacts of the, the so so the impacts of the lowest impact animal products exceed the average impacts of uh, vegetable protein. Yeah, that's right. So if you take soy milk as an example, you look at it and compare it to cow's milk. Um, an average a low impact liter of cow's milk is using two times more land and creating two times as much emissions as a liter of soy milk. Um, you can look at the difference between low-impact beef and, or low-impact cheese or low-impact poultry meat. Now, now in, in calling these low-impact, I mean, it's, it's compared to the high, you know, I mean, it's, it's really not low-impact. It's like lower-impact than the others out there in a sense, right? Because if you're yeah, saying that, that even the lowest impact is, is a higher impact than um, vegetable uh, vegetables vegetable proteins then is it really low impact or is it just like uh the the, the low end of high impact <laughs> yeah that's exactly right so you, you the low lowest impact beef i the 10th centile which is how we're measuring it mm -hmm. is still nine kilograms of carbon dioxide per unit of pro per 100 grams of protein it's seven meters squared of land per 100 grams of protein so you can compare these, which are the, basically the, you know, if we went out and into the shops and tried to buy the lowest impact beef that you could today, they're still a lot higher than, for example, a product like uh, tofu or ground nuts or nuts or peas. So compare that nine, which is our lowest impact greenhouse gas emission beef, to tofu, which has just got, which has got about two kilograms of CO2, compare that to beans, it's just got 0.4 or just 400 grams of CO2 for delivering exactly the same amount of protein. So these are order of magnitude differences. Um, and you see these differences across all the environmental indicators we look at. Um, so you see this not just on greenhouse gas emissions, you see this on air pollution, acidification, you see this on water pollution, eutrophication, i.e. So if you go into the shops and you try and get the most sustainable product you can, the most sustainable animal product you can, you're still probably going to be creating higher impacts than uh, if, if you went to bought vegetable proteins instead. Mm. And that's an, that, that's an important conclusion. Yeah, de definitely. You know, yet I I do see that they are trying to label uh, animal products as sustainable, but again, sustainable as uh, compared to what? And um, so, so you're saying across the full range of of what you measured from uh, what land use, greenhouse gas emissions, eutrophication, acidification, and uh, what am I leaving out? There was another one. Fifth one. Oh. Yeah, water use. Water use, right. So uh, so in each one of those, the animal products uh, exceed uh, the, uh, 
vegetable products in uh, environmental uh, devastation. Um, what about uh, aquaculture, uh, fish farms? How, how are they impacting the environment? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So just to be clear on the last point, just go back a bit. On water use, you can actually get, uh, because we've weighted it by scarcity and we've looked at it you know, by actually what matters, you can actually get beef with basically no impact on water scarcity or water stress. Why? Because beef produced on grazing land in the UK where there's no significant water scarcity isn't consuming any feed, there's not much water going in and therefore its impact on water is, is pretty low. So it is actually possible on water. On the other indicators, it, it isn't. And there is one more exception which you just asked about, which is uh, aquaculture. So aquaculture is interesting because it has very low land use and that's often a thing that people talk about and it's something that we confirm in our results. Uh, um, why is that? It's because fish are very, very good at turning byproducts into human edible protein. So they can turn things like animal manure or human excreta to take the far end of the spectrum. They can turn things like cooking co-products, all sorts that would is very difficult to convert into protein into protein. And they do, when they take in feed, they do it at a very, very high efficiency. So salmon can convert grain into human edible protein with more or less one-to-one efficiency from grain to live weight. That means that aquaculture uses very little land. However, on all of the different emissions that we look at, aquaculture is still creating quite significant emissions. Um, And one of the reasons for that is all this feed that we're putting into the ponds is going to the bottom and is creating methane. You've got this perfect environment where there's lots of feed, i.e. lots of carbon, uh, at the bottom of a pond where there's no air and it's creating lots of emissions. Um, So on emissions, aquaculture actually stood out in our study as just incredibly high greenhouse gas emission, uh, having a high high impact on, sorry, having high greenhouse gas emissions. Um, And that was a conclusion that hadn't really been reached yet, so that was a kind of new contribution to, of our research. So, uh, so the fish farming, the aquaculture, has high greenhouse gas emissions, and uh, and then you're taking into account uh, things like transportation and packaging and all of those. Are are they factored in here at the moment? Or? Yep, they're, fa- they're mm-hmm. factored in. It's a full full life cycle. Yeah, and. Um, Aren't the fish fed like many pounds of other fish also? So doesn't that deplete the oceans to feed like many fish to <laughs> to, to get a fish? You know, I mean, it, it, it seems like uh, uh, strange, like depopulating the oceans, feeding fish to fish to create fish food. Um, no, you're right. Some, some fish species are carnivorous um, and you can only feed them other fish. So tuna, for example, are farmed tuna are fed other fish. But there are lots of species that aren't actually, can eat anything. As I was saying, they can eat co-products, they can eat byproducts like distillers' grains, i.e. the stuff that comes out of the back of a, a brewery. They can eat stuff that, that would never be consumed by humans, and they are herbivores as well. So you, you're right, you do have a lot of fish farming where you're feeding fish other fish 
and you're it's an, it's an incredible use of it's an incredible <laughs> it's just a, it's a, a tra- you know, tragic way to direct I, I direct through the water yeah. and then mm. did you say that, that the uh, herbivore fish are, are fed manure and other such Does yeah you can feed that's one of the yeah you can feed herbivore fish a huge range of uh, feed substances anything from animal manure which is actually quite common in Southeast Asia you can feed them obviously things like maize and soy and stuff like that they're really good at turning byproducts into human edible protein and that's a you know well, well, you know I, I think you know sometimes I think well you are what you eat or you are yeah. whom you eat and then maybe you are you know what whom you who you are eating is eating you know what I mean so yeah. it's like I'm I don't find it particular I don't find eating fish appetizing but fish fed on manure I don't know like you are what you eat or you know yeah down, well, the, <laughs> down the food chain it goes so we're up the yeah, food chain I don't know so um, re- regarding you, you said something about a lower impact of uh, beef because it wasn't a stressed uh, area by 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 grazing, um, I believe, right? So, um, is that what you said regarding in the UK? I was saying that beef. I was saying that you can cultivate beef without much impact on water in the UK because, despite the fact that it looks like you're using a lot of liters those liters don't really have much of an environmental consequence. I, if you go withdraw five liters in California, you're going to have a much bigger impact on the environment than if you go and withdraw five liters from the UK where mm-hmm. water's plentiful. Now, now have you so heard that um, uh, grazing animals, uh, grazing cows, produce more methane? I've, I've heard from 100 to 400 percent uh, uh, grazing uh, Cows versus those uh, confined on the feedlots or whatever. Have you have you heard uh, anything like that? Yes, yeah, so we did look. We, yeah, we did look at this in our study, and what we found is there weren't actually those clear-cut differences between the systems. That we found that in some cases, feedlot is actually a better way to reduce emissions and environmental burden. In other situations, pasture-fed beef is a better way. So there was to reduce emissions, but obviously. You know, what what we're talking about is environmental impacts, and that's not everything that matters. Um, you know, obviously important as well as reducing animal suffering and suffering and killing uh, the unnecessary suffering yeah, and well, killing while we destroy the planet. Yeah, and, I mean, and get cancer and heart disease and stroke and diabetes. You know, so um, were, were yeah. you a, were you a vegan when you started this study, and are you a vegan now, or? Uh, no, I wasn't a vegan when I started this study, um, but I have stopped consuming animal products since about one year in. Um, oh, really? I just, yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> you, you you've been convinced by your own research. Well, that's that's good. I I hope that this uh, convinces a, a lot of people. Now, what what about the environmental impact of feed itself? Uh, right. Like, we have a. Yeah, so so you can think of it as feeding, you know, eating maize or soy or whatever yourself directly, or you can think of it as putting it, converting it into a a protein rather a more protein dense product by putting it through an animal and you know a product that people a lot of people consider more tasty as well, um, and there's a lot of demand for. So, but what happens when you make that conversion is 
it typically takes you know four, eight, twelve, even sixteen kilograms of grain, depending on the animal and the system and the what type of actual feed you're feeding and what type of grain. Um, although it can be as low as two for some species, but what you're doing is you're converting grain or uh, arable cropland that could be used to feed yourself directly. Instead, you're putting it through an animal, and that creates significant losses uh, in that conversion. Um, and you, you know, you're right. That's a major. That's a major consideration. Right. I think that you said in the study there. There are so many. I, I started to jot down statistics, and then I said, "Well, I'm writing the whole study down. It doesn't make sense for me to jot things down because all throughout are so many really interesting statistics, like." I believe you said two-thirds of freshwater withdrawal um, is for irrigation. So um, that's a pretty, pretty significant amount, I would say. And I, I found it interesting, you know, when you were talking about the impact of, of food on the environment in general, that you did say that, uh, you, that our, our current practices alter species composition of natural ecosystems, reducing biodiversity and resilience. So, I mean, that's an important part of uh, the, uh, the massive extinction uh, we are experiencing now, apparently. Yeah, that's right. So, whenever, so th that, those comments were specifically about the, about the addition of uh, nitrogen and phosphorus into uh, aquatic and terrestrial ecosystems. But the other side of it is the clearing of land for agriculture. Um, and one thing we do know that's really, really grounded in the literature is that when you convert land from a forest or from a natural grassland into cropland or pasture, you almost always have a negative effect on species abundance and species richness. So while land use isn't a perfect indicator for biodiversity, at a global level and even at a regional level, it's a pretty good indicator that the more land you use, the the, high, the greater your impact is going to be on biodiversity. Um, you know, last last year, 2017 was one of the highest deforestation, highest years for deforestation on record, with an area of the size of Bangladesh was lost. And this, you know, these are just this is the effect of requiring more land every year. Um, it means we've got to clear more and more and more. To make space for farming, you know, as I said, in, as, as we said in the study, 83% of our farmland is for animal products. So, you know, cha changing our diets could significantly, to you know, to avoid animal products, has a transformative effect on land use. It reduces it by 3.1 billion hectares, so 76%. So, yes, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, land use has a very, very big effect on global biodiversity, and animal products are really at the heart of that. Mm. So, destroying, uh, destroying habitat. Um, I should let people know we are talking to Joseph Poor. He is in the Department of Zoology, School of Geography and Environment at the Queen's College, University of Oxford, and he is the lead researcher in a study just published in Science. The study is Reducing Food's Environmental Impacts Through Producers and Consumers. And um, 
I would like to know then uh, what the if if we were and and, and uh, you know the article that's uh, that we see in the Guardian the quote that going vegan is seems to be the best thing that we can do for the environment so what if we were all to go vegan uh, Joseph what uh, what sort of impacts uh, on the environment would we enjoy what 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 would improve what would be so great if we all were to go vegan <clears throat> yeah so we we're just talking about land use just then and uh, you know avoiding meat and dairy reduce our land use reduce our land use by 3.1 billion hectares that's 76 percent um, that includes a 19% reduction in arable land, so it's not just all pasture. Um, it and, would and, reduce. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm terrible. I seem to know uh, you know miles or you know what, you're talking about hectares. Uh, three point. So so you're saying a, a diet without animal products, you you've said has transformational potential and uh, has the potential to reduce. Uh, foods land use 3.1 billion hectares um i i can't picture a hectare but 3.1 billion of them would must probably it's, a, so. it's about the size of africa <laughs> so it's an absolute it's, it's an absolutely huge area it's uh it's an absolutely massive land area so wow Pretty yeah that, okay. and it, it, it that, that's about 76 percent of all the land that we use so we use about 43% of the world's ice and desert-free surface area, we could reduce that by 76% by, um, by ch changing what we eat and avoiding animal products. And, and um, what would happen with that land if we uh, reduced use of it for food? What would it uh, grow trees, reforest? Uh, what, uh, what, would, what, would what would happen to that land? Uh, that completely depends on us. <laughs> it uh -huh. really does. But, uh, but it could regrow. Well, I mean, that's where we're saying we need trees and reforestation. And you know. exactly, in the best situation, we'd see a return of, you know, of tropical forests, of temperate forests. Um, we'd see a return of natural grasslands in different parts of the world, and all of that doesn't won't it will have an effect on biodiversity and species richness and species abundance. It would also have an effect on carbon storage. So this is a number we don't actually put in the study. It's kind of tucked right at the back of the supplementary material. It would sequester about 6 billion tons of carbon dioxide a year, approximately, for 20 years. And that basically take food emissions down to pretty much zero. So if you avoid, if you avoid meat and dairy, you cut out 50% of food emissions. Uh, then if you include all this... Uh, grow back of uh, trees and grasslands that cuts you down another six so you basically limit you've basically taken food emissions actually to zero although that carbon sequestration is temporary hmm it sounds like uh, this could be, earth could be the paradise that it's supposed to be if we would uh, stop eating meat dairy fish and eggs um, that's that sounds uh, like an almost idyllic planet that you're describing if if we were to to do that uh do do we have much time i keep hearing that we're at tipping point so uh i, I think everybody probably has to go vegan yesterday what, what do you think <laughs> yeah I, I think that's probably right i mean well there are, you know it does sound like an idyllic planet but there are many considerations as well you know 
we, you know, we've got to pay attention to the livelihoods, particularly of people in developing countries who are reliant on animal products for their for, for their welfare. And that's you know, it's an important consideration that we you know we've got to think more about. Um, I think we've also you know we've got to think more about how it would affect the economy and society. So while it sounds straightforward, while it sounds good, I think. Yes, I think it's definitely the right thing to do. It's definitely the best thing for the environment. We need to make sure that whenever we make these big changes to our diets, there are also people out there, probably not ourselves, we're just uh, as consumers, but policymakers who are thinking more about the implications and thinking how can we do this in a way that's beneficial for people and the planet. Well, I, I would say that uh, beef farmers should switch to peas immediately, apparently. That would be uh, – <laughs> because there will be more demand. There, if everybody goes vegan, all the demand is – the beef is – they're not going to be able to sell it, so they so they need to switch over. So um, so I thought this was interesting, yeah, in, in talking about uh, what would happen, the, the positive impact of uh, – of us going vegan, so so you mentioned that uh, you know the land use uh, reduced by 3.1 billion hectares. Uh, you say greenhouse gas emissions reduced by 6.6 billion metric tons. Um, so we'd have a CO2 equivalent reduction of 49 percent. A 50% reduction in acidification, a 49% reduction in eutrophication, um, and water withdrawal um, reduced by 19%. Am I am I right on on some of that's these? That's right. Sir? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so. That's that's a, a, those would be pretty good accomplishments, and then I think you also said that uh, going vegan uh, for uh, Americans or, or people in the U.S. Um, would have an even greater effect, um, right? That, that's that, right. What about that? Yeah, that's right. So in America, in America the consumption of these, these numbers that we're reporting are global numbers. Um, so in America, consumption of meat is three times the global average. So obviously, the effect of diet change uh, on your on, on the emissions from your diet from food are higher. So it's about sixty to seventy three percent emissions reduction if you change your diet. Obviously, on the other hand, the average American creates a lot more greenhouse gas emissions from cars and from flying around the world and. From you know having bigger houses and a more you know more prosperous, more con- more in- intensive lifestyle, so food's contribution gets a lot smaller for the American, the average American. But you've still got this much, you still got this very very significant chunk of emissions caused by food, and a very very a much higher potential from diet change in America. Wow, so. Um... Can you put any numbers to that? Like, so, so the effect of an American going vegan? Um, is, is there any? Did you, any math yeah, apply to that? <laughs> I, I don't. Have, I don't have. I've, I mean, I've, I've given you the numbers that I've got. Um, I don't. I don't have a full right, so, lifestyle. So you, so you say we we uh, in America consume three times. Um, 
our consumption is three times uh, per capita than the rest of the world generally, right? So uh, that's right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I don't know if we can multiply all your numbers by three or what, but uh, but it's significant. So uh, we need to go vegan. Um, just wondering if there's anything that we haven't covered or areas that you want to address that uh, we haven't. I think there's a you know maybe just one comment to end it on I would say that there is a you know is a very big potential in food and agriculture and it's something that we need to think about ways to address um you know one promising route is to label and put environmental labels on our food products and try and push that to get just the information out there so when people are in the shops the products in their hand they know what the impact of it is going to be on the planet. And as I said before, you know, I said earlier in this call, you know, there's a lot of var variability in those impacts. So that means that people will be able to choose different products and that choice could have an extremely significant effect. At the moment when you're in the shop, yes, we know that there are the big differences between animal and vegetable proteins. There's another whole aspect to get at, which is, you know, how can we communicate those impacts at the point of sale in the shops? But how can we also uh, enable consumers to choose more sustainable products in an effective way? And I think labeling and putting labels on our food products would be a, you know, a tremendous and powerful way to do that. Well, you know what I would put on the label? I would just quote you where you say a vegan diet is probably the single <laughs> biggest way to uh, uh, reduce your impact on uh, planet Earth. Uh, I'm sure all the animal products would have red labels and all the vegetable products would have green labels. But I, I don't know that I would see industry you know, even going along with it, like you say, there's a wide variability, uh, even in the production of uh, well, so-called beef, right? So um, there are various percentiles, <clears throat> but uh, will the industry go along with it and say, oh, yeah, you can put a label on mine saying this is worse for the environment and, you know, the, the product on the shelf next to me or... You know, they, they have the money and the political clout. So I see even here um, with uh, supposed animal rights uh, or, or uh, animal welfare, um, you know, the industry never goes along with it or they'll make promises that they never keep or they delay them or um, things are reversed or things don't get enforced. So, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I I, I don't know how practical that, that might be in industry policing itself by saying, you know, my product is more sustainable, less sustainable. I mean, I don't, you know, unless they are more sustainable, you know, uh, you know, or, or we're saying uh, the, the least impact of, of the worst, you know, I, I, I don't know how how we would uh, reconcile industry going along with labeling. Do you, do you think it would? We actually have labelling across all sorts of different products already. We label in the in, in the EU. We have labels on our cold appliances, fridges, freezers. We have labels on most products that use energy, and it says you know it ranks them from G to A triple plus on where they are on energy use. And as as a consumer, you can choose you know which product do do you want, and it's just a you know, in the in the US, you have Energy Star. Um, in the Nordic countries, there's something called Nordic Swan. And these are labels on products across that are 
you know the two you know, the European one is mandatory. I think Energy Star is mandatory, um, and you know they're there already. They're they're you know electrical goods. It, we have it. Why don't we have it for food? Because of the food industry and what it does, <laughs> you've got. A, there's, I mean, there's a very powerful industry lobby in, uh, you know, in other sectors. You know, take tobacco for example. There's an extremely powerful industry lobby. Yet we've made very remarkable changes to how we brand and label our, you know, tobacco products, particularly in the UK and in Europe. I, I, I haven't actually. I can't say. God, I don't have much experience buying the cigarettes in the in America, so <laughs> I, I, well, the, I can't. I can't. I don't, I don't know how you are stuff. The, the, toba the tobacco uh, companies are still in business. I think they ship cigarettes out of America everywhere, right? So I think yeah. that's uh, you know po poison the world. So uh, yeah. So uh, but it, it, it's obvious, as as you say, the. Uh, the uh, highest impact vegetable protein is still, you know, better than the lowest impact uh, animal product. So I hope people uh, take away that message and uh, and go vegan immediately to uh, to save the planet, which uh, seems to be uh, the best way to do it. Quoting uh, quoting you, uh, Joseph Poor, and people can see your study and. Uh, and and the uh, the media covering it from uh, the Guardian to uh, BBC etc. at josephpoor.com joseph p o o r e dot com and uh, anything else? No, that was great. Thanks very much for your time, Bob. Well, thank thank you so much. I really appreciate this, and uh, you know I'll probably be uh, quoting you. Uh, into the foreseeable future here to uh, to to feed my hidden uh, open agenda of trying to help everybody to go vegan. What your study uh, has done um, provides very important information to support that. So, thank you, Joseph. Cheers, Bob. Bye. Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. We have LA Reggae Veganfest.com. Uh, what what am I what am I forgetting? I think uh, we have Facebook pages for uh, LA Reggae Vegan Fest. We have Re RadioBobby.com. Uh, I'm 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 too busy to keep up with myself. I uh, I'm beside myself, uh, which is probably what I need to be. Um, and so. Um, Oh, the restaurants who are participating... Oh, I should take note. I, after the previous interview, I presume you're speechless right now, so um, you're just there in a daze um, after the interview with Joseph Poor and the study from Oxford University on food's impact on the environment. You're, uh, you're speechless, right? You're, because your jaw is still on the floor from what you heard. And then when you get speech full again, what are you going to do? You're going to have to ask everybody to go vegan after what you heard today. It's, uh, 
it would be irresponsible to not be vegan. You know, we we have to do our part. We all have our part. Our seven billion of our, each each of us needs to do our one seven billionth of our part and go vegan to to save the planet. You know, to and as you heard, it wasn't just about climate change. I mean, it's about the environment in general, deforestation and water and uh, habitat. I mean, consider that uh, eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs is the leading contributor to the massive extinction that we have going on right now. It's so anti-life to eat meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. To eat death, right? Eating death is anti-life. How, 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 did, that, how did that happen? So, um, eating death, also part of that Rastafarian tradition uh, with liberty. Um, vegan goes very well with that because eating death isn't very good for liberty. You know, it's not very good for your children. It's not very good for for us because it uh, shows itself. Eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs shows itself in heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes. Everything that's wrong with the world, huh? From our we, we seem to have the wrong wrong appetite, the wrong diet. So, so I want to thank all of the 100% vegan restaurants in the world. Please support your local 100% vegan restaurant. And uh, we have a, gr- a great one up here in the Bay Area in Northern California in San Jose. Vegetarian House. Vegetarian House is 100% vegan, organic, non-GMO. And the food is fantastic. Check out the menu at vegetarianhouse.us. Vegetarian House caters, and it is one of the great vegan restaurants in the world. But, but you know, vegan food is the best food. We we are foodies. Vegans are foodies. We love food, and <laughs> and we've got the best. And all of the restaurants who participate at LA Reggae Vegan Fest um, are 100% vegan. So, and the list is growing by the day, so we're looking forward to having Vegan Joint there, and uh, Rahel's Ethiopian Food, Vegan Joint, uh, just a broad menu, Asian food, and etc., wide-ranging menu, Uh, and then uh, Ikelequa, Cuban, Cuban Vegan Food from uh, Inglewood will be there, Compton Vegan. Um, and then uh, coming all the way from Berkeley so your local one of your local vegan restaurants in Berkeley is Flacos so Antonio's coming down to LA for this momentous event the first ever LA Reggae Vegan Fest and I want to thank Victoria Hart who is a great vegan artist who donates so much of her time to what we're doing and to LA Reggae Vegan Fest, helping to design our logo and helping with all the flyers and posters and postcards. I don't know what we would do without Victoria Hart. And her heart is really into it. And she's a great vegan artist. And you can look to her for really special gifts. Uh, she, uh, she does realistic portraits, everything from realistic portraits to... Uh, coloring book pages with the special animals in your life the companion animals in your life you send victoria 
a JPEG, and she makes special things happen. And the very great gift idea. So go to victoriahart.weebly.com. That's Victoria, H-A-R-T, dot W-E-E-B-L-Y, dot com. Uh, you can also go to mylifecoloringbook.weebly.com. But whatever you do, don't email Victoria with the email address that I've been giving you uh, for, uh, for forever now because uh, I, l I left out an A. So it's not actually victoriahart at gmail.com. It's victoriaahart at gmail.com. V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-A-H-A-R-T at gmail.com. I don't know, maybe when I first saw it, I thought I was seeing double, um, but uh, I should have seen double. Yeah, it's like double A. Okay, so you got it. So um, check it out, and uh, it would be great uh, to have you get in contact with Victoria for uh, gifts for the kids, for mom, for you know, holidays are coming up. They'll be here in no time. Um, and also, in no time, it'll be L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest. Sunday, October 7th, Tempest Fugit, when you're having fun. So who are some of these uh, speakers about whom we speak here on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden? Well, you can go to the speaker page, or I can mention right now, oh, oh, look, I'll be there. Good. I'm looking forward to seeing me, and um, you know that I'm going to be bringing some of the information that was discussed with Joseph Poor earlier in the show. I mean, you know that at LA Reggae Vegan Fest, I'm going to have to expose some of this very critical environmental information. So um, I'll be there and I'll be doing some sort of MC kind of work. Professor Gary Francione will be there. Professor Gary Francione speaking at LA Reggae Vegan Fest. Anuj Shah will be the moderator for our free college of vegan knowledge, uh, which will just be south of our paid event. Anuj, who uh, has his own podcast, speaking of vegan, and for a long time he was involved with uh, Vegan World Radio and Go Vegan Texas on KPFT in Houston. We are very much forward-looking uh, and looking forward to uh, a talk or talks from Antenna Roba, MD, who is the president of the International Fund for Africa. He is from Ethiopia. He will be speaking at LA Reggae Vegan Fest, and uh, you won't want to miss his talks. And in fact, oh, he also has a, a new book out, um, that's uh, he's co-editor of a just published book called Africa and Her Animals, Philosophical and Practical Perspectives. So I will have to have Antenna on, uh, on this show in the very near future uh, to talk about that. And uh, I think we're going to arrange a, a dinner with Antenna on the Monday evening after LA Reggae Vegan Fest. So that would be Monday, October 8th 
at Rahel's Vegan Ethiopian Restaurant in L.A. And we'll have details on that. Um, we'll, we'll put it out there. So um, we look forward to that. Um, also, we at L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest, special guest MC Junior Francis, whom you might know doing reggae on KCRW, KXLU. Uh, our Mighty May will be speaking, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. She will be at L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest. She is spearheading a movement to have vegan food for dogs at uh, L.A. shelters. We will also have a talk from Dali Vyasa Haju, Ahaju, Ahuja, sorry. Uh, take two. Uh, Dali Vyasa Ahuja. And um, she's a a vegan ahimsa activist. She's from a Gandhian family, the granddaughter of a freedom fighter for social justice in India. And uh, very interesting what she has to say about ahimsa and dairy. Uh, someone who brought the house down at the World Vegan Summit and Expo, Abiose, Abiose Joseph Cole, was a poet, an award-winning poet, is going to be at L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest also, as will be Eric Weissman. Eric Weissman, who is the founder of Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food Family Business. It's been around for 30 years now, 29 years, uh, but who's counting? Um, and uh, no recalls in all that time. Uh, look at all... all all the other uh, so-called uh, pet food or commercial pet food out there and how many recalls there are for so many reasons and not one recall in 29 years for evolution. Uh, by the way, you get 25% off your first order of uh, evolution for new customers who call 800-659-0104. 800-659-0104. Zero one zero four twenty five percent off dry food on your first order if you're a new customer. Also, if you call the first Wednesday of the month, you get twenty percent off uh, dry food, ten percent off canned food. And um, what can we say about uh, evolution vegan dog and cat food? That uh, well, uh, what we can say is all evolution. Uh, plant protein vegan uh, foods are 100% complete for all life stages according to Nutrition Research Council or uh, the Nutrition Research Council, NRC, and the American Association of Feed Control Officials or AA, um, AAFCO um, and its nutrient requirements. Most flesh-based and vegan cat and dog foods are not 100% complete for all life stages, and they do not have to, uh, they don't have to be. But all evolution, dry kibble, and moist canned pet foods are 100% complete for all life stages, according to NRC and AFFCO Nutrient requirements okay so um what else can i tell you so i wanted to let's see i wanted to talk about uh okay so let's see what it said about here um okay so 
all evolution uh, dog and cat foods uh, use no chemical preservatives and are extrusion baked every three to six weeks in small batches. So chemical preservatives do not have to be listed on pet food ingredient labels. So pet food companies do not want to list BHT, BHA, or uh, what is it? Ethoxyquine, ethoxyquine, uh, because they know uh, people are less likely to buy foods for dogs and cats that have chemical preservatives. So, um, and uh, Eric Weissman of Evolution tells us that the best way to tell if your dry kibble uh, dog or cat food has chemical preservatives is uh, if it has an expiration date that is over 10 months from the time that you buy it. So anyway, so Evolution Extrusion bakes all of its kibble um, every three to six weeks. So it's always fresh and uh, need no chemical preservatives. Um, and there you have it. So let's see. So I'll just give you the phone number again. I know that Evolution um, is about to start making its certified organic, certified non-GMO, grain-free, gluten-free, high beet pulp, high cranberry dry kibble um, for cats and dogs, and that should be happening very soon. So anyway, so um, if you're interested, uh, you want to place an order, the phone number again, 800 659-0104 Well, I want to thank you for listening this week. I really appreciate it. And again, please do tell family, friends, uh, people in your life who care about the environment, the people in your life who don't care about the environment but they like to come out for music and dancing. Um, tell them about today's program. Um, really, this is... There's, I mean, if, if, if you have a study that you can quote that examines the, the environment more extensively than what we have presented today, come on, bring it on, because you don't. And uh, what, what was on today's show is uh, it's the most important program on the environment that you will ever hear. So just please pass the word around. And uh, isn't Bob Linden great for doing that for you, for saving the world and, and introducing you to delicious food and telling you about uh, the funnest event that you'll ever attend, Sunday, October 7th, L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest. Um, I want to thank um, uh, let's see. I want to thank Andrew Sutton for technical help on this program. I also want to thank Ben Brayman, but he doesn't want me to thank him um, on the show. You know, he doesn't want me to mention anything, so I won't. And, um, oh, coming up on next show, uh, we're going to talk to Lee Camp. Lee Camp, who is the host of Redacted Tonight, he just published an article in Truth Dig, uh, the article entitled, The Media Never Mention the Number One Cause of Climate Change. Well, that's the fake media, the real media, right here, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at Go Vegan Radio.